Hello, Food Chain. This is Sharon Chitun, and I'm a food tech junkie and an innovation nerd who loves a good story. This podcast combines all of my favorite vices into a deep dive about the problems our food system faces and the visionary people working on solutions. Today, we travel to the Windy City, where we meet up with serial entrepreneur Osa Osaranko, co-founder and CTO of Clear Cogs a restaurant tech startup that has already made food tanks list of organizations transforming Chicago's food system by reducing food waste and bringing sustainability to food service. Osa is also co-founder of Fifth Star Venture Capital, a firm creating impact for underrepresented groups in the Windy City where he still sits on the investment committee. Ready? Here we go! I'm very happy to have today with us Osa Osarankoe from Clear Cogs. How are you, Osa? I'm doing great, Sharon. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. I am very curious about your solution. We'll dive into all of it in just a second. But uh, before hearing about Clear Cogs, tell me a little bit about your journey. You have a very interesting story. So how did you start in this world? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the interest. Um, I like to say that my story is really boring, but I guess that's because <laughs> I lived it. So there's nothing against me, but I guess it does have some length to it. Uh, so born and raised in Nigeria and then came to the U.S. for undergrad. I went to Champaign-Urbana. Uh, I got a degree in electrical engineering. Uh, grad school in Boston, computer engineering, because I kind of fell in love with computers um, while here, before moving out to Silicon Valley, working for a Fortune 500 building, large-scale computing applications. Um, I then, about five and a half years ago, I quit my job out there, moved to Chicago to start my first company. Um, it was a combination of many things, but um, having a rich network from Champaign that had all moved into Chicago was one of the things that drew me out here. Um, it was a great idea, but Apple did it better. Right? And uh, being a, a kid with no, no background in the space and competing against a, well, trillion-dollar company. <laughs> Makes it a little hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was not the easiest competition to have. <laughs> um, but I you know, still found a little bit of success there and uh, was able to sell the company to our biggest com uh, customer at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and then ceased business development operations there. But while I was starting that, I had started developing a bit of a network in the entrepreneurial community here. And one of the people I met was my co-founder, uh, Matthew Wampler. Um, and it's, uh, it's impossible to talk about Claire Cox and our histories without intermingling them this way, because he's the one who came with the restaurant background. Mm -hmm. And so we like to say that I have, you know, the 10 years of tech and, startup and then eventually venture capital experience because I co-founded a venture fund uh, between the last exit and this company mm -hmm. uh, here in Chicago. We actually, uh, we invest in underrepresented founders in the Chicago right. area. Um, happy to talk more about that. Oh yeah, we will. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Matt comes with that, that you know, <clears throat> decade of restaurant experience, uh, owner, operator, um, because I like to say that very often people confuse tech with company building, mm -hmm. right? but it's a vast difference between writing software, 
building a product and is starting a business. Yeah. Right? And I think, you know, our experiences from different ends of that spectrum kind of came together to lead to what is not clear cogs. Right? Um, you know, uh, I have similar mentality, similar missions, a mission orientation. Um, and it's been a really fun ride and good temperaments too. Which is always important with your co-founder. Absolutely. Yes. One of the things that always shocks me, the last point I'll say on that is um, I, I'll sometimes, we'll sometimes be, you know, pit, pitching whether it's to investors, customers, or just putting out the word out there in general. And people always comment on how well we get along. And it, it always fascinates me because I just, I assume that that's how every co-founder relationship should be, right? Like, and, you know, nigh on best friends at some point. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm, that's one of those little things that you take for granted, but I definitely think I'm lucky to have that. It's good. Yeah, it should be, right? It should be like your best friend in college. That's, I yeah. think, the kind of relationship one should aspire to. Exactly. You know, where you can have a little trouble. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. That makes it fun. So tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously what is ClearCogs? Yeah, so um, at ClearCogs, we're building what we envision to be the AI operating system for the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. um, what, how we think about it is we want to provide restaurant operators, the actual operators, answers to the questions that they ask themselves periodically, whatever that looks like. Right? So a good example in our first, um, our beachhead, the first set of questions we're answering are around food prep. So 99% of restaurants, if not all restaurants, ask themselves the same question every single day. I'm a taco, you know, I'm a, a taco restaurant. I sell chicken tacos. That's one of my menu items. How much chicken do I need to have ready today? Okay. That's a question that, you know, everyone comes up with their own way of answering it. But we found that data, right, mm -hmm. is way better at telling you exactly how much chicken you're going to need than any other, you know, your guts or experience. Now, not to say that those are bad. They're not. Like, we've seen some people who are so entrenched in their operations that they can, you know, put their finger in the wind and tell you pretty accurately, you know, how much, the, what the traffic is going to look like today into their restaurants. But we take a different approach. We're trying to make it as granular and fine-grained as possible in order to address some of those issues mm -hmm. that exist within the restaurant space, um, especially around, you know, uh, food waste, time waste, all the things that have to do with your cogs, right? Not just giving you clarity, but helping you control them and run a more profitable organization. Indeed. Well, you put down some very uh, important keywords there, right? Around sustainability yeah. uh, in terms of, you know, how to make your business sustainable. But let's go back to, obviously, food waste, which is a massive yeah. uh, problem all over the world. Um, and obviously, I imagine that it's just in your example, right? How much of this one ingredient do I need? Mm -hmm. Then you're sourcing with more efficiency. You're more accurately, uh, you're avoiding food waste. Can you tell me a little bit about that and if you can in some way how do you measure it like or you know is it possible to measure it uh, in your opinion 
Yeah, so those are those are really good questions, right? And I really love talking about the topic. It sometimes looked, you know, at first we thought it was a taboo topic. Every time you mention sustainability in the restaurant, two things come to mind. One, expensive, and two, more time, right? More work. But we, but we realized, like, no, like, this is sustainability that's profitable, right? Not only do we reduce the amount of work you've, because we're automating a process you already did. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to determine how much, you know, say chicken they need or how much of X, Y, and Z they need. But now we just, we do that for you and more accurately, and that leads to less waste. Of course. Right? That leads to a more efficient operation. And, um, In terms of quantifying that waste, this it varies, right? Like that is a very difficult question to answer, mm-hmm. not because we don't know how, but it depends on what um, type of systems and procedures are already in place. Now we got lucky, right? We're some of our alpha customers, that's our, you know, who we ran the proof of concept with last year. They already had a system in place to track how much they were wasting, mm. right? Uh, their highest waste item was bread. And that's something that's way easier to count. So they were able to, they kept a log of how much bread they were wasting every single day. And even though it's a low waste item, it cost them about 50 cents a stick of bread. They were still wasting it in the 50, 60, 100 sticks a day range, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's just, it's really difficult, especially with a high volume store. It's really difficult to figure out with a high degree of accuracy, how many of those sticks of bread you need over the course of the day. Anyway, long story short, we were able to implement our first solution and we were able to see a 51% reduction in waste. Wow. Right. And, you know, we quickly saw this, uh, it started expanding. We went from one unit to six to I think about 40 in a span of a month. And we knew, oh, okay, there may be something here. There may be a business that can be built on this. And of course, we took it out into the marketplace and we still work on um, removing that stigma around sustainability in the restaurant industry where we're not asking you to start measuring, right? No, if you don't have a measurement in place, we don't need that to even give you a really good idea of what your waste is still. Because without fail, there needs to be some form of inventory management. And I don't mean the full-blown solutions, just at the very least, how much are you ordering, yeah. right? I, we have a customer who we tapped into their QuickBooks, right? We're, and I, all we have is just the dollar amount at the end, but we're able to use the data on their usage to back that into understanding exactly how much they're ordering, which is, means how much food comes in the back door every month. Now, we're able to tell you exactly how much food goes out the front door every month or goes out in your customer's bellies every month. So then what's the difference there, right? Not all of that is going to be waste. Some of it is going to be shrinkage due to, well, we burned some bread or we overcooked some chicken or we dropped the pizza. (laughs) But a good chunk of that is going to be waste. And a good chunk of that waste we can reduce just by giving you this one or two more accurate numbers. By making your day easier, you somehow become more sustainable and you make more profits. So it's a win-win situation. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think sustainability means a lot of things, right? With digitalization increasing and the massive impact COVID had, which we'll dive into in a second, many people 
that are maybe not so tech oriented are a bit afraid of innovation. But on the other hand, as you said, uh, data improves your efficiency, your profitability. And it's not just obviously in the food service industry, in any industry, data plays such a huge role. So how do you see the role of data in food service? Obviously, it's important, but why and how? Yeah, so that, that, another really good question. And I love a point that you touched on there, right? Um, if you're not techy, if you're not you know tech forward, then you may be scared of innovation. And that's something that I saw a lot of in my last startup. That was in the media space. And I won't get into the details, but if you, if you cut the numbers on their uh, sources of revenue, you start to see that technology has not been a friend to the media industry. And I think that is a lot that is a lot of similarities when we look at restaurants as well, especially when you think about the operators. Mm-hmm. In fact, I have grown, so again, I'm not from the restaurant industry, so I'm probably going to be wrong about most of the things I'm even talking about. <laughs> But I'd like to think that I'm learning a lot about the industry and growing a a deep love for the people who work in the restaurant industry. And one of the things that I found is, or or a way that we've started putting it internally at Claire Cogs is that restaurants seem to be people, um, organizing people to serve people, right? It's a very people-centric business, right? Especially when you think about the reasons, when you really get to know restaurant operators and you learn about the reasons that they started their businesses. More often than not, it's not because they had a, you know, they love Excel, (laughs) right? Or they want to do financial engineering or they want to be data people. That that I am yet to hear that as the reason to start. (laughs) Right? It tends to be, oh, we have these like family recipes that we wanted to, you know, give show to the world. Or I love seeing the smiles on people's faces when they enjoy the food I make or, you know, I love cooking. Yeah. Right? Like I really love cooking and I love cooking for people. There's all of these other passionate reasons why they do what they do. And we don't, I, and this goes to one of the ethos at Claire Cox, but also part of what leads to my vision for what like data and automation and the future of the space looks like. I think that it is the job of technology, technologists, data and everything, automation, to take away the things that, for example, restaurant operators do not get into business to do, right? You didn't get into business to be an expert at balancing your books. And that's why, you know, financial solutions exist. Mm-hmm. I think that data, right, and automation should serve that exact same role where we're taking away the things you don't want to do so you can focus on, you know, making the best dishes or on, you know, whatever it is that, gives actually brings you joy right and the reasons behind starting your your restaurants all at the same time making it more efficient making it more profitable making it less stressful right because that's a huge thing it's um one of the one of the things that we like to say at clerkogs is uh for every new employee we give them homework to go watch the bear uh, uh, on fx and just to, to get some empathy for the level of chaos that can exist in a restaurant, right? And that way we know that, oh yeah, so we have a customer who we're trying to get a hold of and they keep pushing the meetings, no big deal, right? Like I'm sure you have, something is on fire, someone's finger is getting chopped off, the store is failing to open, 
no big deal. We will be here for you when you're ready, right? Like no pressure from our end. Our job is to make your life easier and to make the integration of our technology incredibly easy. We've worked so hard on reducing that friction to where we see what we do as a bolt-on solution. Uh-huh. You don't need to bring in any additional hardware. You don't even need to download an app, right? Or even have it log in for a dashboard if you don't want it. We make it as easy as possible to provide you, to get in there, onboard you incredibly quickly, right? And then get you the answers to your questions as seamlessly as possible. All the way down to, like, like we, we focus so heavily on how can we give this to you in a way where it requires very little thought? It's just that work is now done. It is an item that has been checked off the box versus adding additional items to check off the boxes. Got it. So obviously you said before you're using AI, predictive analytics. How does this technology work, right? I'm a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously you talked about yes, no dashboard, yes, no app. But how is it and what is it? How yeah, does it work? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So getting into the nitty gritty of it, right? Um, so it's funny because there's, um, we're still working on figuring out the best ways to present these things, right? Like when I say, oh, we answer your questions and then having to give you the specific example of a prep sheet, we do see the breadth of questions we can answer to be expansive. But fundamentally, at its core, there's a machine learning engine that knows your future, right? Mm-hmm. There's a crystal ball that has the future demand patterns for every single thing about your restaurants, right? From, you know, paper straws all the way up to boxes of frozen steak, right? Like we, we know that future. And that's what we spent a lot of last year building, right? It's the, uh, the core and the machine learning models that can generate these predictions. What we spent this year doing, and I know one of the topics we'll probably get into a little bit is the onboarding process and the mm-hmm. onboarding platform. But we spend a lot of time working on making those answers tailored to your specific needs. Right? Because I I open and close almost every uh, customer conversation with the same question. If I could tell you your future, what would you do differently? Mm -hmm. How would that impact your operations? How would that help you? Other than, of course, winning the lottery. Sadly, I <laughs> tried. We couldn't, we couldn't get to $2 billion, But <laughs> um, other You never than, know. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I'll keep trying. <laughs> but if we, if we can tell you your future, how, how would that help improve your life, right? And we see that as like being the fundamental thing that we do. And I know that doesn't sound concrete, but it's something where we also, we push the owners back onto our customers and say, no, truly, what can I do for you? Because we're, you know, we're data people. We have this background. We know your future. But how can we help? How can we convert that into useful insights for you to help your business run? Now, the first one that we've come up with is prep sheets. Mm-hmm. Granular, detailed, very accurate prep sheets. Because every store either has, should, or you know, is somewhere in the middle of prep sheets. So, if we're able to just automate that piece away, right, with better numbers, so it's giving you all of those top line benefits from profitability to uh, you know, reduced time 
right? You're saving however long it was taking you to make these. It's more accurate, so you're wasting less. You know, good for the environment, good for your bottom line. Um, but what else can we do? Right? And it's and it's something where again, I'll go back to saying this. I'm not from the restaurant industry, so I'm I'm learning as we go. What are the other things that we can provide that continue to help make your day easier? And I guess you analyze, I would say, menus and, you know, how many people will come in through the doors of the restaurants, but you could possibly and have also, uh, I don't know, APIs to sourcing platforms where maybe they could find the best deal or the best price or the best where it is. I imagine you're sort of a, a one-stop shop to make the restaurant the best version of themselves. And am I correct? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I love that. That is exact. that. Yes. I, I'm, you know, podcast over that. I couldn't say better. <laughs> a one-stop shop to make you the best version of yourself. We see ourselves as being your assistant, right? Your general manager's extra brain, right? Your di the digital version of your general manager's brain that allows you to be the best version of yourself, to focus on the things that you want to do right and we take away the rest of the hassle and yes we have access to so much data so it's one of those things coming from the tech space i think when i first got started you know a decade ago everyone was saying data is the new gold data is the new oil data is the new and i never understood it right it was one of those it was it was buzzy and everyone said things about it but i think now we're finally entering that golden age right where data is infinitely accessible, right? You can get data on just about anything, right? But we're also, but more importantly, we're getting to the point where technologists are getting better at being able to use the available data to make things better. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe worse in some cases, but mostly better, <laughs> right? And so, yes, we have access to a lot of third-party APIs that, um, we ingest and we can and do ingest in order to make for the most accurate predictions for you, right? That way, whatever factors matter to your restaurants. And it's one of the, and, and I appreciate you asking this question, right? Because we get it a lot where people say, so what are you doing? Is this uh, you know, like a, uh, some, some guy in the back with an Excel? I like to say, yeah, it's, you know, some short bald man whose head we rub and just kind of sticks out and... <laughs> No, we're, we're analyzing, you know, millions of data points, right? In order to give you one simple number every day or two simple numbers or however many, you know, the few numbers that actually help impact your business. But we're taking data from all sorts of sources and, you know, filtering down to the ones that matter the most to your specific, mm -hmm. and not just your, not your concept, but your specific stores, unique patterns for every single day. Right. Because the Tuesday, your, your P-Mix on Tuesday is going to be drastically different on Tuesday afternoon to a, a Saturday evening, right? Of course. And being able to cater each and every one of those models to your specific units on that specific day at the, the specific time of year, you know, with given the new menu item you just introduced and what your neighbor is doing. We're able to take all of that to make highly informed decisions. Absolutely. And before you mentioned um, the, since we're talking about 
you know, ClearCogs, the onboarding platform that you just launched. Um, so I'm very curious about that. And um, I mean, yeah, like, try to word this properly. Mm. Um, I mean, so you're analyzing also what's going on on the outside, not just on the inside of the restaurant. So that it's not just about, um, you know, ordering more or less chicken or ordering more or less napkins for that Tuesday or that Saturday. But is, does it also give you sort of a, an idea on maybe what's your next recipe should be? Sharon, again, I think that this is one of those situations where we need to just hire you full time. That's a Because... Yes, right? Like the, the, the simple answer is yes. What we're building is something that we envision. Again, we're starting with how much you need to prepare every day, just prep sheets, right? And that seems like a straightforward um, solution. But really what we've built, right, has the capacity to even answer a question as complex as given this season, what should my next menu item be? All right. Where should my next location be? What, you know, what should I remove from my menu? Or what should I swap out? Mm -hmm. So even those higher level decisions right, that happen maybe once a year, right, we see this as the solution that can help you make more informed decisions there. Got right? it. Um, and yes, it, it does go back to the onboarding platform a bit, right? Because uh, and I'll try not to give away way too much, seeing as we're still in the the private beta here. But it, it's the you, onboarding. You can tell us about the onboarding platform. Tell us it's a new <laughs> thing you just released. So I'm curious. Yeah, no, it's it is exciting, right? Because I think. Um, oh, let me put it this way. So one of the biggest um, the biggest things that we see when from talking to restaurants, right? Like it, everything we do has been informed by our restaurant partners. We, you know, we've effectively built just a really fantastic feedback engine, like to listen to our restaurants, learn from them what they need, and then implement that. And this onboarding platform is one of those manifestations of that, where there needs to be an easy way for me as a restaurant operator to ask the system, right, questions. Like, what should my next menu item be? Right? Like, how much chicken do I need to have prepped? Like, how many paper straws do I need to order? Mm -hmm. the, so this is the first iteration of the interface, right? That makes it easy for, you know, the owner or operate, the general manager at a single restaurant location can now leverage machine learning and AI Right to, as you put it, right to be the best version of themselves. Like this, this is the first iteration down that path, and that's what we're building. That's what we're aspiring to here, mm -hmm. uh, to really make it easy to um, to interface with all of that data. Right, no, no single human should have to look at ten million data points to make one decision. That's wild. And yes, we end up relying heavily on our guts, right? Because as someone put it, the human brain was the first machine learning engine, was the first AI, right? So yeah. we fall back on that. But again, when you have 
10,000 things to deal with. And this decision, as critical as it is, is just one more decision to make. Let's not leave that till, you know, Wednesday afternoon after the lunch rush to think. So what should we <laughs> add on to the menu? Or what should we have ready tomorrow? Or what should we do next? No, let's, let's make it as informed as possible. Each of these decisions, right? Let's yeah. make each of these decisions as informed as possible that way. And as easy as possible to make, right? Because again, that emphasis on reducing the work, right? So making it easy to reduce the work for restaurants to be the best versions of themselves. Got it. So, and I apologize in advance if my question sounds silly, but um, I don't believe in there are any stupid questions. So right now you have a lot of maybe softwares or sort of AI portals that help companies build new products, whether with digital twins or whatever, right? And you think a big corporate can afford it. Theoretically, you could do that with a restaurant. Obviously, it makes a difference if you're a large chain or if you're a single, you know, smaller restaurant that could use your technology to waste less and become more efficient. And maybe it doesn't have, you know, necessarily it's not thinking down the road or what is my next recipe going to be like, or will I need a digital twin? But what I'm getting at is you could do all of that, mm-hmm. correct? Um, and is that something that you're thinking about? Like that would be really cool for restaurants. And how do you see that in terms of price? Because obviously they're all different sizes, restaurants, not like a big company that has, you know, big budgets. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I I love that question, right? Because this is where the rubber hits the road. (laughs) At the end of the day, you can say all the nice things you want about, you know, your appreciation for the industry and trying to do good and all whatnot, but how much money are you actually trying to extract from people? Right? Like, and, you know, we've given so much thought to it and there's still a lot of thought left to be given to it, right? We do see ourselves as being um, I'm trying to remember the exact term, but fundamentally we see ourselves as people who will always strive to provide way significantly more value than we're taking out of the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why right now we have for the beta uh, period, we have such a low price point of $90 a month per unit. Right? That is low. Yeah. It, it's incredibly low, even for what we're already doing, but that's the price of learning. Right? Because again, and this is, you know, this is where you see my startup background kind of influencing this, but we're not there yet. Right? There's still so much that we can do. So right now we're pricing it so low because that's the price of learning. Of that's yeah, for us, that's the price of learning. We get to work with partners who are invested, right? In helping us create the best version of our software that helps them be the best version of themselves, right? And that's why we're not as concerned because we also see this as, like Sharon, when you think of the value that can be created from the vision that we're talking about here on this podcast, it's immense. And getting there or when we get there, that's something where the, the rising tide will lift all boats. There will be so much value to be had for everyone involved that 
we'll get to you know come to a more detailed price then but for now we really view this as just being value creators mm-hmm. for these restaurants absolutely and then the more you grow obviously the more you can integrate and even have tailor-made solutions obviously if you are a big chain or a small chain and exactly. depending on what your needs are no it totally makes sense absolutely um, i think again so i realized i missed a tiny bit of something you brought up also which was the single units independent versus the large chains we we also see this as being agnostic mm-hmm. where and you know we're not trying to charge an arm and a leg for a single unit to get access to this type of data but we also don't think this is something that should be exclusively available to franchises or larger chains right because at the end of the day you know one of the driving principles for us is sustainability of course that's the impact that we can have on the planet is part of why we get up every day and work so hard on making this solution available and you trying to make it ubiquitous across the industry and that's why we always work with the understanding that we need to build a solution that a works right that's is usable by both the small and the large um can be priced right in a way that continues to drive value right a, a net positive a great net positive value for the small and the large while all together right like working on saving as much um food waste and as much time waste and as much sustainable just everything as possible in fact one of the things that we've said before when we talk about what success looks like right it is not the dollars in or the size of the team or the mm-hmm. capital raised but rather it's how much food have we saved yeah right like having that we're a virtual team so we'll, we may not um it's yet to be decided when or not we'll have an office but having the the big clock at the back that doesn't count the number of users on the platform right or the number of the, rev- the revenue but rather pounds of food right but because that's the impact that we're actually trying to have here it's very interesting well i think we talked a lot about about your solution and you brought up a couple of times with your background as a startup or Um, but you also said that you have an investment background and as a founder today how does the experience of also being an investor help you in building your startup today i mean yeah I yeah imagine quite a bit oh yeah absolutely it's um it's been a tremendous tremendously insightful um opportunity to sit on the other side of the table right from founders who are pitching because um i th- and i think it's something that you know is easier said than done but every founder should try it if they can if they ever have the opportunity to do it because it it puts into perspective a lot about the decision making process mm-hmm. right the good the bad and the ugly right and having a deeper understanding of the factors that matter when they matter how they matter a lot sometimes and not mm-hmm. at all other times right? and um and but i will say this i think that if you take nothing else away from the that back from like having that mix i would say the one thing you should take away is that investors are humans also 
Yeah. Right. It's you're they're just people, right? Like the same way that you are a person trying to do a thing, they're just people trying to do something else. And um, one of my mentors had a workshop on this, and I, you know, really took so much away from this. But it's learning to have empathy for whoever it is that you're trying to convince to come onto your side, right? And and it's one of those things where with the investor founder relationship as is more common that empathy is not there you think you're competing but at the end of the day you're really not right and it's learning the dynamics of the factors that they take into consideration i think really helps with not just positioning but also understanding what's being said to you and where you are in the process and Mm -hmm. how best to move forward and um and learning to learn from those conversations as much as you do from every other conversation. Um, so yeah, it's been tremendously helpful. And I'll say, okay, other, other big takeaway is to not take anything personally. Right. Like I, for better or for worse, I'm not someone who was good at that. Right? And from being on that side, from having friends on that side, right. And being able to have those conversations and learning that looks, so you know what, Everyone has bad Tuesday mornings. Yes. <laughs> right. And if you are unlucky enough for that to be something that affects, like ripples into your like um, time in the process, then okay, that's bad luck. But starting a successful company is a huge chunk of it is luck, right? Yeah. And timing and preparation, they say. You have to be table stakes is you need to be the best. Mm-hmm. And then you're the best long enough that the luck catches up. Yeah, absolutely. And well, yeah, also you, I think you appreciate as uh, investors are sort of bombarded, right? By wonderful ideas at times, right? And you have to just choose a few. And even if you really love maybe an idea or a pitch, it's not really within the core of what they're doing in that specific moment or what they're looking for. So it's sometimes it's just bad timing. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it seems like there's so much going on, but it's, uh, there's so much one can do, yeah. uh, even in this big world. So absolutely, you should not take it personal. But mm. having said that, I know that you have completed your seed funding round. <laughs> yes yeah so, congrats to that thank you yeah uh, when, so when was that um so it's uh i think it was about a month ago mm-hmm. um it, it was a long process and especially with the macro markets being how they are um but it's it was very informative right and and i think as crazy as it sounds, I actually like the idea. Well, I mean, I've always been someone who likes to do the hard thing first. Right? <laughs> um, so I think I'd rather be starting at a time like this where the macro markets are bad, knowing that it's all uphill from here. Right? The fact that we were able to get some of the incredible um, names onto our cap table that we did and we were able to pull in as much as we did is already like a testament i take that more as a testament to what it is that we're trying to do on the wind on our in our sails 
Because I'll say this, as someone who has done this more than once, I think that at any given moment, the person who needs to be the most critical of the idea, of the concept, of the path, is the founder. Yeah. Because an investor is going to write a check, they're going to sink some time. But you're one of 10, 20, 100, thousands of investments in some cases. This is your one company. Yeah. Right? This is baby. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you need to be the most critical. And more often than not, raising funding is just a matter of giving that you know, 5% of the critique that you have had on yourself, just showing that. So investors know, oh, okay, you're not just pulling stuff out of a hat here. You, know, you truly believe this is going to work and you've looked at all the, well, at least most of the angles and also you're someone who can, right? Given the obstacles that will inevitably come ahead, right? Figure out ways around them and ways to weather the storm without, um, without losing your grip on the wheel. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Good advice. Yeah. Very good advice. Thank you. Thank you. So we touched on a lot of points, um, but I wanted to ask you a little bit also, since we are going a little bit in the more aspirational or investments, and obviously these have been, I think, some weird times. I think globally uh, in the U.S. are still very weird times, in my opinion. But from there's so many issues that I think the restaurant the food industry has been suffering since COVID from jobs like workers to, you know, increased digitalization and automation. How do you have seen, and you started, you said right around COVID. So how did you see the pandemic um, impact the food service industry overall since you're like in it? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And, I apologize in advance. I probably won't give a satisfactory answer, mostly because I, so because I joined the food, this, I started learning about the food service industry in the midst of COVID. Mm -hmm. I don't have that relative of what it was like before versus what it just was and what it seems to be becoming. Um, but I'll say, but then, I do have a lot of anecdotal evidence from conversations. Yeah. Um, restaurant operators and what they're seeing and trying to get to the bottom of why and, and how to build a better future, right? mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. And I think that, well, but, you know, and I probably am not going to add way more than it's already publicly available here, but yeah, like the, the turnover in labor, right? Like across the board and, the um, inavailability of resources in terms of both money, right, with the economy uh, turning down as it currently is, and um, also even with um, with physical resources, right? yeah. like supply chain disruptions, it, it has not led to an easy time, right? It has truly not led to an easy time. But I'll say this, I think, um, you know, not to... I'm trying to be very careful here, right? Not to seem like I'm happy about it. But I do think that there is always a silver lining to downturns, 
of yeah. all sorts, right? And I think from what I can tell, two of the things that kind of came of this was, and it come, goes back to an earlier point you made, not being technologists and being adverse to adopting new technology. Mm-hmm. Something we've seen is a lot of the concepts and restaurants and chains or units or whatever that did okay or did well through the pandemic are those who had adopted technology. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or, 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 or putting it another way, the pandemic has forced technology to be more friendly towards restaurants. Right. And we see ourselves as an extension of that, where, right, where um, you know, all of those, that, 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 yes, it took away some things, but it also has given us a lot. Right? And yes, we can and should, right, like mourn and be cognizant of the things that we've lost and the people that we've lost. But I think we need to, as a society, like, or at least as a restaurant economy, come together around the things and the technologies and the uh, systems, right, that have come from that to help be more efficient and to, in your words, and I, I'm going to 100% steal this, is <laughs> be the best versions of ourselves, right? And um, be it from your systems and procedures, systems and procedures, all the way up to your decision-making processes, like looking for those people who have come out the other side mm-hmm. as helpful advocates for the bottom line and the operators and you know the customers. Of course. Right? Yes, uh, totally agree. I have a couple of more questions. One, actually, before you started giving us your story and you told us about as an investor underrepresented groups can you just tell me a little bit about more about that yeah so um what's your investment thesis what are you guys doing what's the name of the fund yeah so the um the name of the fund is fifth star funds we are a uh, a non-profit venture fund oh nice i know it's a very interesting um take on the on the ecosystem um we're a nonprofit, so all of the money coming in doesn't come in through L- limited partners, uh, as in the traditional fund, but rather through uh, donors mm-hmm. um, or unlimited partners, as we like to call them, because we can, and that also gives us the ability to have as many people of course. as possible um, and accept check sizes of all sorts. So, you know, we, we've had uh, institutional and High net net worth individuals donate as high as a quarter million dollars and more. But some of our favorite investments are the monthly recurring $10 a month donations, right? Because, um, and and we invest in the friends and family stage. I don't know, I'm kind of giving this story in a chopped manner here, but just to kind of show like uh, the impact that even the smallest checks have, because when you're investing at such an early stage, right, um, that's when the dollars go the furthest. Because very often we find that these are the dollars that allow these entrepreneurs, you know, pay for daycare, 
so that they have a few extra hours to flesh out the idea or to build out the prototype or to talk to their customers or, you know, get feedback on what it is they're trying to do or build out their networks, right? Like these are the fundamental things that allow for people to actually grow into entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. right? So we're meeting them when they have aspirations and ideas on a napkin and we help fund them through that process of, becoming entrepreneurs and being able to better articulate what they're doing, why they're doing, how they're doing it, right? So that they can potentially um, chase that dream. Um, as far as the specifics are, are the, uh, a little bit more about the thesis, um, we're Chicago-based, right? So we're only investing in Chicago founders and we're only investing in uh, Black Chicago founders. Yeah. And again, at, those, at the really, really early stage, um, but part of our mission is to generate sort of a, a playbook, right, for this form of a fund that can be used in any community, right, in order to help promote equal, like um, equality, mm -hmm. in a sense. And um, you know, we're already seeing like a lot of really early success, especially when you, because you know, as Stepping into the investor role, you find that there are like there's so many data points that matter that it ends up again, right? For better or for worse, being a gut decision, right? Who gets the money and who doesn't? So taking away as much of that bias as possible, right? To not pick winners as much as give people shots on goal, right? To give them the ability to try. Right, and to learn, and um, we view that as being the mission of Fifth Star mm -hmm. Funds uh, here in Chicago. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. It's uh, an inspiring project. Thank you. Yeah, we're you know, very, very happy with the progress we've made and all of the impact that still lays ahead. And it's needed. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I will not dive into politics because this 40 minute episode will become like 80 hours <laughs> with me uh, ranting. <laughs> yeah, no, we, yeah, because, uh, and yeah, because I could, I could speak a lot more about like that, the, the emotional motivations of it, right? Like it, you know, was started by a group of founders here in Chicago in the wake of the George Floyd murder. Um, and I think, you know, I, I do think that it's worth pointing out that, um, it's an example of using the tools that you have to combat the inequities that you see. Right? You know, I, I, I know that I don't have a background in politics, so I'm not about to, I don't want to, and I don't think I would make a good political candidate of any sort to have that sort of impact. But I do know startups. We do know startups, right? And we do see... Um, you know, the impact that these early uh, early stage companies have on macro decisions. Mm -hmm. Because the, the founders who we are investing in today are going to be the board members of the Fortune 500 tomorrow that are going to, you know, be the lobbyists for causes, right? So how do we stack the deck in a generational manner, mm -hmm. right? In order to not, not you know, it's not, it's not winning, right? It's just creating equality because I fundamentally believe that having diversity in as many ways as possible just brings the most ideas to the table. Absolutely. Right? 
like humans are fun. We all fundamentally want the same thing, right? And just live a good life, be happy, have access to the resources you need. So why is it that we can't agree on things? And it's because some voices don't get heard right? and pulling it all together. And then just making that informed decision, I think is, um, you know, it seems like a daunting task, but the reality is it's not. No, and it's extremely important. I think every, each one of us does their part, right? Uh, to better, at least my perspective, younger generations, you're much younger than me, uh, but it's a must. It's a must. It, it really is. <laughs> it truly is. Yeah. So let me ask you, I'm just going to change the subject and go back to your subject, the ARCOG's subject before we finish our conversation but i'm curious because you you sound like a um, an inspiring individual with yes the data the science but also a little inspiring and uh you've got heart Thank so you. between obviously all the tech that you know it's out there and that you obviously using clear cogs like how do you envision the restaurant of the future not just on a clear cogs perspective, but in 20 years, you walk into a restaurant, what do you see? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And um, it's something that I give at least some degree of thought to. And I'll say this, I think that there's, um, wh whenever we envision the future and the technological impact on the future, there's a lot of fear, right? Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh, the robots are coming for our jobs. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I think, yeah, I'm happy if the robots come for some of our jobs, right? I do not want to, I don't like picking up dog poop. Mm -hmm. If a robot could do that, I'd be more than happy to give it that job. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> I got three dogs. <laughs> there you and I, so I tend to be a, an optimist in that sense, right? That's not to say that. Um, we shouldn't keep pushing back against some of the, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, some of the worst ideas when it comes to automation, right? Or, or, or technological advancement. I think it, there is that yin and yang where we, we have to keep being worried and concerned about where it can go so that it can, so that it does go to the best possible outcome. Um, when I think about the restaurants of the future, I have my personal visions of what that looks like, but I think fundamentally what I think is it's a restaurant where the customer and the operators are happy, right? It's one where, um, you know, there are no negative Yelp reviews on service or, um, you know, or, or on the quality of food because you know what you're you're getting yourself into. Staff members aren't burnt out, right? And they're not doing the things they don't want to do, right? Or are not good at doing. One one thing I I learned is um, the idea of writing with your left hand. Right? Mm -hmm. You can do it, right? and that's of course assuming you're right-handed. Writing with your left hand, you can do it, but you're going to be bad at it. You're going to be you know tired halfway through, and it's going to be crap. <laughs> right so it's taking away those things where you're writing with your left hand where you no longer have to do x y and z whatever that looks like for your concept 
right? For you, the person trying to open up a restaurant or running a restaurant, right? And the customer still gets the things that they want, right? It, not everything is going to be a vending machine. Maybe some concepts will be vending machines because sometimes I kind of want a delicious bowl of fresh made curry from a vending machine where I can take it and get back to work. But I'm still going to want to go on a date, <laughs> right? And sit down and have a nice dinner. And I don't know exactly where it's going to land, but I think each and every one of these types of concepts and um, you know businesses will in my opinion, benefits greatly. And consumers will also have access to more diversity in terms of how right, they interact with the dining experience um, and just an, a happier ecosystem altogether. Of course, I'm an optimist, right? Well, so I try to temper it with a little bit of pessimism to come to neutral. So that's why I'll end with saying that the, we still have to keep fighting for these outcomes, right? It's not a given. It's ours to lose, but you know, we're human. So we're really prone to losing things. <laughs> oh yeah. We're really prone to fucking it up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very good at that. Yeah. So is there anything you would like to add uh, other than I'm going to ask you to um, if people want to uh, look out for you, whether on LinkedIn or how to get in touch with ClearCogs, you can give all that info. And if there's any last words that you'd like to say. Um, I don't know. In your opinion, is there anything that's... Um... I think we covered a lot. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. we did good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. This is, it was a really fun time. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Me too. Yeah. I think, I think we can probably just uh, close out with some contact info. There you go. Shout out. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're always welcoming more conversations on all sides of the topic from the, from funding to customers, to, just industry experts, right? The one thing that we know is that there's a lot that we don't know. <laughs> so if you, have any, yeah, <laughs> you know, if you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, please feel free to reach out. We're very active on LinkedIn, Facebook, even Instagram these days. And um, you, know, you can always email us. Um, my personal email is osa, O-S-A, at clairecogs.com. You can go through our websites right? we have all our links there and we're very active on the chat there as well so perfect yeah wonderful thank you thank you it was a pleasure want to dive deep into food innovation subscribe to the food tech junkie series Tune in and listen to the industry's champions whose mission is to reinvent our future by collaborating and disrupting the status quo as a way to rebalance our planet in our daily lives. For more great content, visit our website at www.ediblepanetventures.com and follow us on social media on the Edible Planet Ventures channels.